Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Craig Earlham joins me. Very good morning to you. Oil continues its crazy ride, doesn't it? Up again because of President Trump's threat to Iran. Presumably, let's try and be as sensible about this as possible, the fundamental demand story stays the same. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think these types of stories create a little bit of a, a little bit of a blip in the price and probably a welcome blip uh, given how low prices have become. Uh, but it is strange, isn't it, that, that just completely out of the blue that we do get this uh, tweet. It's almost like someone is trying to manipulate the price, and that's not even necessarily directed per se at Trump. It could be, uh, it could be anywhere. It's it, it, it's it's a strange, unexpected, uh, out of the blue event. But I don't think it's going to create much more than that. I mean, I think there'd have to be something far more severe uh, to happen uh, for things to be affected, affected in any significant way. Obviously, we've seen this before. We've seen the Strait of Hormuz highlighted before. We've seen um, early signs of conflict in that area of the world. Um, but I'm not sure whether uh, this is something that Iran is really interested in engaging in because previously the kind of threat has been we can we, we could severely impact the Strait of Hormuz. We could create um, a, a huge jump in oil prices and effectively um, bring down the global economy. Well, now oil prices are so low. You wonder what their impact could be. If anything, they could assist oil producers rather than hinder them. And and, and they are not, because of all, all the sanctions, they're not really actually selling that much oil at all at the moment. So they wouldn't really benefit themselves in that process. So mm, it would seem yeah. a strange thing for, for Iran to be doing at this moment in time, which makes me think uh, which makes me think it's just uh, another attempt to try and maybe push the oil price in one direction. But it did have the... Well, I don't know, a desired effect. It had an effect on the markets yesterday, didn't it? As far as equi- international equities are concerned, they all took a, took a great deal of, of um, hope from it, which seems crazy to me, I have to say. Well, we have to remember, again, these aren't ordinary times in the markets, and sometimes markets move in the direction they want to move and take any kind of catalyst to do so. So at the start of the week, we saw oil uh, equity markets pulling back at the same time that oil prices were plunging. You wonder what type of impact negative oil prices could have on broader markets, on broader companies, uh, and you wonder whether this was just kind of a, the, the catalyst wasn't necessarily um, the full underlying factor behind why markets were selling. We're into earnings season now in the US, and I think this is a potential banana skin as far as um, equity investors are concerned. Mm. We've seen like the Dow in the US, for example, retrace 50% of its entire uh, decline since the start, since um, late February. I mean, that's quite remarkable when you consider that, yes, we are starting to make positive headway with regards to coronavirus but we're all still in lockdown shops are still closed and the outlook is still extremely unclear so to have made such a bounce back already is quite remarkable so maybe going into earnings season banana skin maybe that's really the the underlying reason and people are jumping at any kind of catalyst and we could be seeing the same here We've seen some extraordinary moves in oil price over the last uh, over the last few days, and all of a sudden, a ten percent increase in uh, in WTI taking us to fifteen whole dollars a barrel seems like a lot on the percentage side, but in absolute terms, we're still in extremely low territory. And that adds to the narrative of leading Tories who are reported this morning to be saying, as one would expect, of course, that this safety first approach is risks ruining the economy. I think we know that. There is, though, isn't there, a growing expectation that something needs to change? fairly quickly do you think public patience is wearing thin 
So this is the this is the thing we've got to weigh up. I think everyone wants safety first. Everyone wants to reduce their fatality counts. Everyone uh, wants to be safe. They want to feel like they can go to work and not feel like they're putting themselves at risk, that their families are at risk, that vulnerable members of their family and uh, friend circles are at risk. Um, uh, and that's mo mostly what people want. But the problem that we have is that the longer this lockdown goes on, the less people are going to re to actually respect the rules. And I think that you are going to see people become more frustrated. Cabin fevers very much going mm. to... Uh, settling uh, and the government has to almost take that into account as well they want to be guiding us out of this crisis rather than having people uh, people get trying to get around the rules and having this settle in disastrously with another lockdown so I think this is something that has to be managed very carefully and also the other is the other thing obviously the most important thing is people's lives that that, that goes without saying but at yeah. the same time, if the economy crashes and it grinds to a halt, then that affects people's livelihoods on, a, on an absolutely mass scale. And the longer this goes on, the, the, the harder it is for the government to continue to support many of these jobs. And if people are losing their jobs uh, and businesses are going bust, then the, the government has to weigh that up as well. I mean, that, that's a sad state of affairs, but that's just the reality of the situation that we have right now. Um, and, and so you can kind of understand the argument, but then it, it's one of these strange, bitter arguments where it's um, you're, you're effectively putting people's lives at risk by considering the economy as well. But unfortunately, it's just something, it's part and parcel of being the government. Let's talk about social distancing and the economy. Two examples. First, Ryanair, Michael O'Leary, as ever bullish about things, but he says not if I'm forced to have middle seats empty. I think everybody who flies Ryanair would rather like that, but he doesn't. And he says 60% load um, factor just doesn't work. That's him. Our local cinema has told everybody that uh, they're going to, they're suggesting that there may be staggered seating. I looked at that and thought, well, how will they make any money if the, if the, by definition, places are half empty? Um, how, this, this, this is going to be a big challenge. Let's do Ryanair first of all, if we may. Um, social distancing on aeroplanes is going to be quite a challenge, I would think. Some airlines are saying, there won't be social distancing, just wear masks. I think at least in the near future, uh, even heading into the end of the year, this whole just wear masks thing is going to be much more difficult. You are in a confined space. You don't you don't really have the option to leave halfway through. And, um, uh, and therefore, it, it makes it more difficult to just uh, uh, just impose a kind of wear a mask approach. And, and especially when you're asking people to wear a mask for many multiple hours uh, throughout this entire journey. Then obviously from Michael O'Leary's perspective, this is an extremely uh, low margin business that relies on maximum capacity. So running at 60% yeah. means that you're effectively just running at a loss, even with oil prices at these low levels. You look at something like a cinema, cinemas can renegotiate rents. They can, they can look at, they've probably been looking at rent holidays up until this point. Yeah. Um, they're probably negotiating with the film producers to uh, to reduce costs there. So running a cinema at 60% capacity is probably not actually loss-making. And the, the, the most important thing for them is they want to get people back to work. They want to turn the screens back on. They want people to be coming in. And they want that to happen as soon as possible because, uh, we've said before, cinemas is one of those areas where I feel could continue to suffer in the aftermath, in the immediate aftermath of this because people may still want to socialize with friends but i'm not sure people are going to be as keen to go and do kind of individual solo activities like go in the cinema that you would do on your own or with a partner um and sit in the dark and watch a film they'll maybe continue to choose to do that at home and i think cinemas will need to get things up and running as quickly as possible and to alleviate people's concerns that they're going to have around that um and also again the cinema experience is an hour and a half to two hours long people wearing a mask for that may not be seen as uh, quite as yeah. so we're getting used to watching movies at home aren't we of course which is the other thing 
thing for exactly. me. Um, let's talk about the insurance sector. Big loss. It's on course for big losses, isn't it? Presumably, um, insurance is underwritten, and that's a science within itself. But at the same time, you have to say the amount of claims coming in, and we covered a little bit of this uh, about um, interruption to business insurance, which is a very, very grey area. I was suggesting that the, the lawyers will be slavering over this, and I'm sure they will be. Um, this, this is, but this is an important sector, isn't it? An important part of the economy. It's going to take a hit, is it? Do you think, or do you think they'll manage to manage it? I think they'll probably manage it, but it will take a hit as well. This is one of those extreme scenarios that they kind of model for at the most, uh, maybe towards the more extreme end of the. Um, uh, of the of the scenario situation so this is going to be extremely costly for them for one it comes back to that argument that we were having a few weeks ago about whether companies like they should be paying dividends um, at a time when when they're expecting to make big losses and could potentially be using the government furlough scheme etc um so this is um, a time that's going to be. Um, this is a time that's going to be extremely costly but this is because this is a huge one-off event um and yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of uh, what kind of guidance they offer during this earnings season and what we kind of get from them because it it's one of those uh, situations where it's really difficult to get a gauge as to just how costly it is going to be for the various for the likes of Lloyd's of London who underwrite a lot of very unique uh, contracts. Um, it's very difficult to see just what kind of the the financial impact and the implications uh, are going to be. And I remember even early during the. Uh, lockdown. People were accusing Boris Johnson of uh, slowing the lockdown because they said he was protecting people like insurance companies. Now, I'm not sure I necessarily bought into that, um, but again, it would make you could understand the logic if insurance companies were going to make such utterly horrendous losses if maybe that was, was mm. one of the things that would factor into your decision making so i feel like we're going to learn a lot over the ne- over the course of the next month or so uh, in regards to um, just how heavily impacted these insurers have been and how, how what kind of potential problems that causes for them down the road because like i say this is very much in the small percentage likelihood part uh, part of their modeling craig ellen thank you very much indeed